Well, ladies and gentlemen, one of the things that we're going to be doing today is considering that uh, this is our last um, episode in our Garden of Peace series. We are finishing the book today, as a matter of fact. And so uh, today, not only are we going to be going over the last chapter, but any questions that it is that you may have in terms of uh, things dealing with marriage, things that it is that you feel like we have not covered in this series yet, um, you can go and put them in the comment section. And guess what? They will come up on the screen and all that good stuff whenever it is that we are at the point of taking questions. But you can go ahead and load in your questions right now so that we can go um, into answering those. Now, also, make sure to go and check out all the links that we have in the description there. Make sure to go and subscribe to us on iTunes. Make sure to go and check us out on Vimeo, YouTube, all those places. These links will be, uh, uh, the, or this video will be up on all of those uh, servers here, uh, probably by tonight, as a matter of fact. So make sure to go and subscribe and all of that good stuff. And um, yeah, it's just great to have each and every single one of you here with us today as we um, as we go through. Uh, the final chapter in this book here today, The Garden of Peace, A Marital Guide for Men by Rabbi Shalom Arush. Okay, now, also again, make sure to go and get your questions in beforehand and all that stuff because we will be going and taking your questions a little bit later within that of the broadcast, okay? So, we are in chapter 14, and it's very interesting that we are also right now currently in the time of Sukkot, okay? Now, in the time of Sukkot, you know, one of the things that we see all throughout the New Testament is we see this concept of the uh, marriage contract that it is that we have with the Messiah. Many of you who go through the Torah uh, Parshiot each and every single week, the thing that it is that you see is that first of all, we have a ketubah with that of our creator. And this uh, festival of Sukkot deals a great deal with this premise of marriage because the entire idea of the marriage supper of the lamb is something that we find all throughout here that deals with that of Sukkot. So one of the things that it's very interesting that we are going through this final chapter of Rabbi Shalom Arush's book today that deals with the marriage tradition within that of Judaism and why it is that it is that we do what it is that we do. All right. So for those who have the book, we're going to be going to page 316. And he says in here, getting married without premarital instruction is tantamount to getting behind the wheel of a car without ever, uh, without ever learn, learning how to drive. We all understand an untrained and unlicensed driver could wreck other people's lives. Marriage is much more complex than driving a car. Untrained people often lack understanding about the true meaning of marriage and its responsibilities. Therefore, we're prone to head-on collision with their spouses. This is what the previous 13 chapters of this book have been all about. Going and preparing Many of you for, you know, even dating for that matter, you know, uh, because basically one of the things that I've said often in this series is that the the goal is not to keep to get the girl. That's not where the hard work starts. The hard work starts in keeping her. And the same is true with that of your wife. Believe it or not, you may think, well, we get, guess what? We signed the ketubah and all this stuff. I got her. We're good. Nah, there's a whole lot more than it is that you have to learn through this process. You have to learn to be able to increase in your emunah. You have to make sure to increase in that of your ahavat and your shalom and you know your simcha, all of these things. You must increase within those things. Okay. So the thing about it though is that, you know, many people say, well, you know, I'm not married, so I'm not going to watch Christopher's series within this. I'm not married either. But the thing about it though is that there was one time to where it is that I was engaged and I realized that not everybody else that I had dated in the past was the problem. And that's something that it is that us men, our egos get in the way of us of understanding this, this premise. 
So premarital counseling is definitely a must. It's definitely a must. Rabbi Shalom Arush goes on here, says the Kotzker Rabbi said the wedding day is the biggest day in a person's life. Too bad it's wasted on children. <laughs> His connotation is that young people have no idea about the infathomable value of the wedding day, a day when it's possible to move mountains and to set the tone for their entire lives together. You know, the thing is that we see many people, you know, go and, uh, you know, go and engage in this thing and they don't go through the process of, you know, understanding what a, uh, you know, understanding the concept of the ketubah. They don't understand these, these, these concepts, why it is that it is that we do what it is that we do. And the first step that we're going to get into is indeed the ketubah. All right. Now, the khatan, and what is the khatan? The khatan is the is the, uh, the the bridegroom. The khatan arrives at the wedding hall. The officiating rebbe sits with him and fills out the details for the ketubah, the marriage contract. That's what the ketubah is. It's a marriage contract. The khatan must know that the ketubah is no joke. It's a binding and obligating agreement. As soon as he signs the agreement, he is duty bound to fulfill his conditions. So essentially, what we end up seeing within that of a previous parshiot, and I want to say that it was Parshish V'yachanan, if I remember correctly, within that of the book of Davarim or Deuteronomy. One of the things that we see within there is that if a person takes an oath, they take a vow, that it then becomes Torah law. Okay? And so this is why it is that the ketubah is not to be taken lightly. Should never be take, take, taken lightly. Shouldn't be seen as just an obstacle that's a part of our tradition that it is that we do because we've done it for thousands of years. That's not the reason why it is that we do this. It's actually this now building upon that of our obligation that it is that we have so that we may be able to fulfill Torah law. One of the things that we read in the very first chapter of this book, as a matter of fact, was the story of the Holy Celibate Shelah. How the Holy Celibate Shelah was the most learned man in all of the land. He was the most learned, lived within that of the synagogue. But however, whenever it is that he went to the council of Zedekim, after it is that he had passed away, and everybody praised his memory and the individual that it was he was, the council of Zedekim went and said that you, sir, have not fulfilled what it is that you set out, what it is that you were created to do. You never fulfilled a single mitzvah because of the fact that you never in your life ever had to know about compromise. You never knew what it was like to be married and to have to function in that way to where it is that it's not just, you know, hey, I can do whatever I want to and come and go as I please and all of these things. This is a serious thing. Now, one of the things that many people don't realize is the text of the ketubah is actually not in Hebrew. It, yeah, now, the thing is that, you know, you guys know that I'm one of the teachers at the Hebrew and Aramaic Learning Institute. Now, you probably, many of you who have a ketubah have probably sat, sat there. It's like, yeah, there's, well, there's Hebrew letters there, you know, it has, and which is known as the Fus Hebrew script. But actually, the Fus Hebrew script was actually borrowed from the Aramaic Ashuri script. We have four scripts in uh, in uh, uh, Aramaic. We have the Ashuri, we have the Estrangela, we have the Swadea, and we have the Serta script in Aramaic. Four complete scripts. And, uh, you know, in, in today's time, we use that of the Defus Hebrew, which is the same as the Ashuri, uh, but however, it, it does function differently. has different Nakud. It also, um, you know, various letters will make different sounds in Aramaic than they will in Hebrew. You take, for instance, the letter Vav, for instance. The letter Vav in Aramaic will make a W sound, but there's no W sound in Hebrew. The Vav in Hebrew will make either a V sound, an O sound, or a U sound, and it's dependent upon the Nakud. Um, but, however, in that of Aramaic, it can make a W, you know? So, you know, the, the, these are the things. You know, we see the script and we say, oh, well, you know, that's, you know... Uh, that's, uh, you know, Hebrew, but it's actually Aramaic. Now, what about the ketubah? How, do, how, do, how does a person go about going and obtaining a, a ketubah? Well, the monetary uh, uh, 
denomination that appears in the Ketubah is Azuz. Okay? The Ketubah deals with three different sums, the basic Ketubah, the dowry, and the supplement. The basic Ketubah is fixed sum of 200 Zuz, which was a currency during that of the Talmudic times. For a first marriage and 100 Zuz for a second marriage. Okay, if the first one didn't work out, if the wife had passed away or something like that, then 100 Zuz would be for that of the second marriage. Now, the thing with this at the same time is that, first of all, um, we end up we end up realizing that if you've gone through this series and you've gone through this book, there's no reason to ever have a second marriage. It's not something you're going to have to worry about that. The woman's dowry consists of the possessions she bought within the marriage, which the husband's estate must return to her upon death or divorce. Originally, the dowry was itemized, but in or order to avoid public humiliation, the sum is fixed at 100 pieces of pure silver. And do you guys know what that comes out to? About $14,000 for a first marriage and half that for a second. The third sum in the ketubah is the supplement that the groom adds to enhance his obligation. The, um, the accepted supplement is designed to equal the dowry. In some communities and a rich family, an additional supplement is added. Okay. And this is, you know, kind of deals with, you know, the entire idea of why it is that somebody would have a prenup or something like that. So that something's not, you know, no advantages being taken, you know, and all that good stuff. So that's the reason for this and why these numbers jump around every now and then. Now, what exactly does the ketubah say? This is what the ketubah says. The first line says, with divine assistance. We will focus a great deal on that. On the blank day of the week, the blank day of the month of the blank year, uh, 5,700 and whatever that year is, five, which if it was this year, the 500 um, or, or 5,779. As we reckon here in the city of blank, the groom, blank, son of blank, and the bride, blank, Daughter of blank, be my wife in accordance to the statutes of Moses and Israel. And I will work for, cherish, feed, support you in the custom of Jewish men who work for, cherish, feed, and support their wives faithfully. And I will give you blank, and I will provide you food and clothing and necessities and your conjugal rights according to uh, accepted custom. And the bride, blank, agreed to become his wife. And this dowry that she uh, brought from her blank house went in silver, gold, um, jewelry, clothing, furnishing, or bedding, and the groom, blank, responsibly for all of the sum of blank number of, of uh, Zuzim, and agreed to, the, uh, to add to this amount to the, own, uh, to the own asset the sum of blank Zuzim, for the total of blank Zuzim. The groom said, the obligation of this ketubah and the dowry that is an additional son I accept upon myself and the heirs to me to be paid from the best part of all of my property that I possess hereafter acquire real and personal. From this day forward, all the property, even the shirt on my back, shall be mortgaged as collateral for the payment of the ketubah, dowry, and additional sum, whether during my lifetime or thereafter. The obligation of this ketubah, this dowry, and the additional sum was accepted by blank, the groom, with strictness established for uh, ketubot and additional sums of cust customary of the daughters of Israel in accordance to the decrees of our sages of blessed memory. This ketubah is not to be regarded as a mere formality or for the uh, perfunctiony uh, 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 legal form. We have established the acceptance of the part of blank son of blank the groom to blank daughter of blank the bride of this contract of all of which is stated and specified above with the article fit for the purpose and all shall be valid and clear and binding and then you have the signing of the two witnesses that is what is a part of the ketubah but there's also another part of this as well first of all 
Many of you are very much familiar with that of the vows that it is that you make to one another when it is that you get married. We've all seen this being done if you have not gone and done them yourself. One of the things that that happens within within Jewish Jewish culture is that um, there is Torah law that is that is applied there, saying, you know, this is what it is that my obligation is going to be to you, and these are something that things that it is that it is that you discuss behind closed closed doors, so that it is that you are bound to provide for that of her needs. Okay, that is one of the most important parts of the ketubah as well as this as well. Now, the first characteristic of the ketubah that grabs our attention is that it's one-sided. Seems very one-sided, doesn't it? And believe it or not, it actually is. It is supposed to be. The groom gets nothing but gives everything. Ring, food, clothing, necessities, livelihood, and obligations, both emotional and material. He promises to cherish her and obligates himself to sell the shirt off his back to meet his responsibilities. Yet she doesn't commit to anything other than agreeing to marrying him. And this is, you know, uh, you know, you know, many, many women are sitting up here going, this is a pretty good deal here. But, you know, the thing is that here is the way that this operates. And I think um, this was told to me about eight years ago, and it's absolutely correct, that women bring shalom bais. It's the man's job to keep the shalom bais. Okay, and so therefore, in order for things to function the way that it is that they should within that of the Ba'is, within that of, uh, you know, being able to have mar marital bliss, the obligation falls upon that mainly of that of the husband. Okay, because within that, that we uh, within that of Jewish law, this may seem weird to many of you, but the commandment to marry is actually only obligated to the man. Women are not contractually obligated to marry uh, through that of Torah law. Okay, why? Because it goes back to that entire concept of that the that the marriage is the putting together of the two pieces that have been split apart. But however, women are on a higher mandrega, on a higher level than us men are. That's why it is that women tend to be much more spiritual than us men are. We are, however, us men are very logical. We are very analytical. But women think on a higher mandrega than us men do. Here's a prime example. Say that it is that your car broke down. And you take it to the mechanic to go and have it fixed. A man will sit there and say, okay, this is what's wrong. Go and fix it. The woman, however, is going to say, well, first of all, how did this affect other things? You know, what is the reason why it is that this happened so that it doesn't happen again? You know, and she will go through, you know, many, many different questions to make sure to be assured that first of all, that her uh, that her car is working correctly. Us men, sadly, we do not think on that plane and that level. So therefore, in many ways, women, you're going to love this. Us men cannot operate by ourselves. We certainly cannot. But let us continue on here into the words of Rabbi Shalom Arush here. Page 321, he says, according to the Kabbalah. The male is the giver and the female is the recipient. The principle is expressed in the ketubah and teaches us a prerequisite to happy to a happy and healthy married life. Just like the sun shines its light on the moon, the husband should be the giver while his wife should be the recipient. Now, this is something that is not found within that of today's culture, sadly. Today, in today's culture, we have uh, many different uh, movements. Uh, that deal with social constructs of especially here within that of the West. But however, if you go to the Mideast, the thing that you'll end up finding is that these social constructs are much different and this makes perfect sense because of the fact that first of all, you know, uh, the, the, the followers of, of, of Hashem, you know, especially in the land of Hashem, they understand the fact that first of all, that men and women are not the same, but they are different. And the thing about it, though, is that within today's society, we have really kind of closed our eyes to this very thing. Not that one is superior to the other in any way, shape, or form, but there are different obligations. And so that's something that it is that we have to be understanding of. And I would, and if, if this whole diatribe is confusing you, I encourage you to go and check out the episode that we did on this very subject that is called Be a Man. It's a part of our Garden of Peace series. 
Um, I believe it's maybe the sixth episode in this series or something. Go back and check that one out and you'll be able to get a much broader explanation as to how it is that men and women operate differently. Okay, Rabbi Shalom Arush goes on here and says, for example, a husband must respect his wife, compliment her, give her gifts, and fulfill her needs. The wife isn't required to do likewise. <laughs> Surprising to many of you, isn't it? She is not required to do so. Okay, and there's a reason for this. It goes back to that entire concept of how it is that men are made to be givers, women are made to be receivers. Now, just uh, to, to remind all of you guys, as we finish up this chapter here today, we are also going to be taking questions at the end of the episode. If you want to go ahead and get in your questions about anything dealing with Jewish married life as a believer in Yeshua, or maybe not, uh, make sure to go and put your questions into the uh, comment box, and we will go over those near the end. The very first words at the top of the ketubah is, with divine assistance. Okay, now many people go and read that and they say, well, I'm off the hook. No, sir, you're not. Let, let us explain here. Yet right after invoking divine assistance, the husband commits to work. In this matter, our sages are teaching us that the way that the Ketubah text that a husband is obligated to supply um, all his wife's needs honorably, even if he's required to do hard labor. Um, our sages thereby silence the lazy and, and, irres and irresponsible and the quote-unquote holy believers that send their penniless wives to Hashem, saying the Almighty provides, go ask him for what you need. This is something that we have uh, become very accustomed to, sadly, in the Gulf HaMashiach. Hate to say it, it's very true. Um, you know, I, I was, I remember years ago, I was, you know, kind of, um, given a hard time by, uh, uh, some teachers that spend, uh, their time, uh, doing whatever it is that they want to do, but they'll do a teaching every, uh, week or so to go and put up on their website and all that stuff so that, uh, you know, it can go and provide for their basic needs and all that stuff, you know, that they take teaching and all that stuff to be their job. And then ultimately what ended up happening is they got very upset with me <laughs> because of the fact that here I am not asking for don donations, but rather what it is that I do is I do three radio episodes a week, a couple of video teachings a week as well. And then we have these nice little slides and all this stuff that we, that we put up there. And then I go to my job and work 40 hours a week. Well, I'm also working on my third college degree and taking yeshiva courses and all that stuff at that time. And the thing is that one of the things that I ultimately ended up seeing is that all of these teachers, many of them in the Hebrew Roots movement, were having issues with their marriage. Why? Because of the fact that they are not committing to working. They are expecting the Lord will provide by sending me people who go and buy my teachings, my DVDs and all these other things. And see, the thing about it, though, is that you guys know that we use a great deal of citation whenever it is that we do the Torah portion teachings or any other teaching. You know, and the thing about it, though, is that here I am working a full time job. Here it is that I am going and, uh, you know, uh, uh, taking taking courses in school, going to yeshiva courses and all these things. But yet at the same time, you know, realizing that, you know, actually having a job and working are a obligation of that of the Ketubah. You know, you take, for instance, whenever, whenever I was the rabbi of Biet uh, Ge'ulah, many people just saw me as a moray. You know, they didn't, they, they found it odd that whenever it is that uh, they said, well, hey, I'm getting ready to move and all that stuff. And uh, I would say, okay, well, what time are you getting ready to go and do that? You know, because it's my job as the rabbi to go and help you guys, you know, move all your stuff and get everything all cleaned out and all that stuff, you know. Oh, you need your house painting painted? I'll be right over to help you do that. You know, that was my job as a rabbi because of the fact that, you know, that I'm, it's my job to be a servant unto the people that were part of the community, you know. And the thing about it, though, is that it's not just, you know, going and answering phones and having people in my office and saying, okay, yeah, I'm here to answer this question for you. That's not what it's about. That's not what it's about. 
The assorted deadbeats not only failed to fulfill their solemn obligation, but they complained about the lack of faith of their wives. A typical holy deadbeat preaches to his unfortunate wife. Don't you have any, any emunah? Our lack of money comes from Hashem. That's the way Hashem wants us to live, except poverty with love. Don't you believe that everything is for the best? The deadbeat husband doesn't want to provide for his wife with money to pay bills. Instead, he gives hours of his, of his warped sermons. Even worse, he's angry at her for lack of trust in Hashem. The ketubah doesn't require you or require your wife to have emunah, and certainly not on her expense. Your ketubah says that you will work for, cherish, feed, and support your wife and not lecture her about emunah and trust. Nothing in religious law requires a wife to sign an obligation to attend her husband's lectures. You know, people, I, I, I see people who get this so backwards at times. You know, there's women that I've dated in the past that, you know, it's like, okay, I like Christopher, you know, because of the fact that he's smart, you know, he can teach me. That's, that's not a good relationship. It's really not. So women, if you're out there trying to find somebody who's a good teacher, as opposed to a good provider, as opposed to somebody that you actually connect with, then the fact is that basically what's, I, I will go and tell you exactly what's going to happen. What's ultimately going to happen is that first of all, your marriage is going to be very short lived. Your relationship is going to be very short, short, short lived. Don't, you know, the, for the, uh, you know, within that of Tarashi Biape, it does say within Tarashi Biape, to make for yourself a rabbi, to go and to acquire yourself a rabbi as one would acquire for that of a friend. It does say to do that. But however, at the same time, you have to realize, women, that you are on a higher mandrega spiritually than us men are. This is why it is that Paul ended up saying within that of uh, one of the letter, letters to the Corinthians to that if a woman has a question to go and ask her husband, you know, whenever it is they get back from synagogue. Why is that? It almost seems like Paul's being anti-woman. No, because of the fact she's in many ways teaching her husband by making him go and engage within that of, first of all, the Bible itself, but also through that of understanding the history to be able to give her the good answer. Looking at halakha, looking at, uh, you know, Midrashim and Tosefta and all, and all these things to provide her the best answer. So basically what happens is this is a blessing given to the husband from that of his wife because his wife is making her or his wife is making him go and do these very things. So it's very important. Another reason that cherish comes before support is because the Jewish law requires a husband not only to provide for his wife, but to do so in, an ex in a respectful and loving manner. If he gives her a cashier's check for a million dollars while snarling and hissing through his teeth, then it's worthless to her. Everything comes from that in terms of a woman comes from her honor and her vitality. Her honor and her vitality are the things that are the most important things that are a part of her. That, that, that is so important to understand. The Ketubah also brings up this idea of conjugal rights. Okay, now this is something that many people often don't want to uh, go and talk about, but it's, you know, it's a major part of the Ketubah. And so we will discuss this. Conjugal rights are an important mitzvah that the husband commits to. He must be available to her on her immersion night. And at least once a week during the days when she's ritually pure. A husband that slights his wife in the area causes her untold anguish, not because her sexual appetite is so great, but because her soul needs to feel that her husband loves her. This is one of the best times to strengthen and to cement a relationship. Jewish law states 
that conjugal relations are only permissible with the wife's consent. This is why it is that Talmud and Midrashim and many of these other uh, parts of Jewish halacha say, refer to it as her time. Okay, that is the idiomatic expression that is used there. It's referred to as her time. Um, let's see here. If she is angry or upset, he should first placate her. Truly beautiful conjugal relations require modesty and complete privacy. Children shouldn't be in the same room with parents or in a situation where they might see or hear what is going on. Halakha does not allow a baby that can't yet speak to be in his or her crib in the same room. Okay? That's 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 a, a, a major thing. Major thing. And this deals with, you know, many different things such as things I'm not even going to get get into at the moment, but I will say there, there there's a reason why it is that we have the Agadad and Midrashim story and folklore of Lilith. It's not an actual history. It's not actual story. There is, it's a fable in many ways. The whole story of Lilith deals with these very things, okay? And also it is, uh, you know, it, it deals with many different things. Even if you're already married, and you have, and you've been married for years now, and if you haven't learned about your ketubah and what it obligates you to do, do so now without further delay. Many people who are probably watching this are saying, you know what, I never did the ketubah. I, 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 I never did that, and you guys are beating yourself up over it. Well, the thing about it, though, is that luckily if you were married, you know, when you were a part of some other religious institution or, you know, it is that, you know, you had uh, some guy who was, you know, the rabbi of the Internet or something like that. Go and do your um, go and do your thing. And these things were never explained to you nor done. You know, you can actually still still do these things. OK, um, I've seen many people who have done this very thing. Many people who have done it. Uh, before the chupa ceremony, the groom covers the bride's face with a veil. According to um, esoteric tradition, the custom is is for uh, blessing for being for being blessed with children. As such, this is a wonderful time for the husband to pray. It is hard for children. Tradition states that a transparent veil does not have have the same quality. So, um, so one should use the veil that is not transparent. Okay. And here is the reason why. Okay. As, as Rabbi Shalom Rish says here, the groom sanctifies his bride when he says, you are hereby sanctified in matrimony to me, according to the law of Moses and to Israel, and not according to the laws of the photographer or the program director. A couple with Emunah shouldn't let anyone else sway them into forfeiting the blessing in the traditional chopa that the uh, chopa uh, ceremony invokes. This is a one a once in a lifetime affair, so they should ignore extraneous considerations like social pleasure and do things right. Every custom under the chopa is important. Therefore, one shouldn't allow those who are not faithful to Jewish tradition to run the show. Jewish tradition shouldn't be bent and, and wrapped into considerations or the convenience of the waiters, the photographers, the band, the wedding hall manager, or anyone else. Okay? This is very important. This is very important. There's going to be many times when people go through this, and the thing about it, though, is that they are, you know, are constantly asked because they're so used to, you know, secular weddings and all this other stuff for Christian weddings or, or what have you. That many times they're like, oh, we just got to get around this, you know, and all that stuff. And they don't want to, you know, allow you to do things in terms of halakha. Now, as and in part of stage three here, as it, as it mentions over here, is that um, there are actually several blessings that are recited under the chuppah. We have the blessing of wine. We have the blessing for that of the betrothal. We have the prayer for consecration and the ring. And then we also have the reading of the ketubah and the acquisition oath and that of the signature. Now, the thing about it, though, is that, first of all, it is best to have a cantor go and do these things. 
Okay. Because, you know, there's many people, um, I understand, especially within the, uh, Hebrew roots faiths and the messianic faiths and all that stuff who don't know Hebrew and they try and fake it. Okay. Make sure to get somebody who can recite these prayers for you and recite them faithfully. This is a huge part of, you know, being able to go and engage in these kinds of, in, in, in terms of the things, um, in, in terms of the marriage blessings and contracts. Now, there are also seven marriage blessings that are also done. The first blessing is, blessed are you, Hashem, our God, King of the universe, who has created the fruits of the vine. The second is, blessed are you, Hashem, our God, King of the universe, who has created everything for his glory. The third blessing is, uh, blessed are you, Hashem, our God, for, um, the King of the universe, who fashioned men. The fourth blessing is, blessed are you, Hashem, our God, King of the universe, who has fashioned man in his image, in the image of his likeness and prepared for him, for himself, a building for eternity. Blessed are you, Hashem, who fashioned the man. The fifth blessing is bring intense, uh, brings intense joy and exaltation to the barren one through the ingathering of her children amidst her joy. Blessed are you, Hashem, who gladdens Zion through her children. The sixth blessing is gladden the beloved friends as you are gladdened the creation of the Garden of Eden from old. Blessed are you, Hashem, who gladdens the groom and the bride. The uh, seventh blessing is blessed are you, Hashem, our God, King of the universe, who created joy and gladness, groom and bride, myrrh, joyous song, ple uh, pleasure, delight, love, brotherhood, peace, and friendship. Hashem, our God, let there be, um, let there soon be heard in the cities of Judah and the streets of Jerusalem, the sound of joy and the sound of gladness, the voice of the groom and the voice of the bride, the sound of the groom's uh, jubilance from the canopies and from the use of their song-filled feasts. Blessed are you, Hashem, who gladdens the groom with the bride. <coughs> and these are all recited within that of Aramaic. Well, no, no, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. The, the ketubah is in Aramaic. Those are often recited within Hebrew, and they also, you know, or should be very easy for anybody who's even a novice in Hebrew because... Uh, most of those blessings start out with Baruch Atah Adonai Elohim Melech Alam Asher Kedishanu. On page three thirty six here, under the header uh, "Remembrance of the Destruction," we get a little bit more of an insight into the reason why it is that we have these uh, particular traditions in terms of of the uh, of the wedding. After the blessing, the groom stamps or stomps on a glass and shatters it in remembrance for the destruction of the Holy Temple in Jerusalem. He recites a passage from one th from Psalms 137 and, and says, If I forget you, O Jerusalem, may, may, um, may my right hand wither. May my tongue stick to my palate. If I don't remember you and if I don't accust uh, ascend to Jerusalem ahead of my greatest joy, our sages require us to remember the destruction of Ju Jerusalem on every joyous occasion to remind us that no joy is complete without the divine presence within the midst. Until Hashem rebuilds his holy temple, the material world, we cannot fully rejoice. Now, many of you guys have seen this in the movies where they just stomp on the glass and then they start, hey, you know, that's not necessarily how it goes. Not necessarily how it goes. You can't really, you know, go and trust the uh, movies in terms of halakha. Now, if you guys have any, this is our very last, okay, very last Garden of Peace teaching, okay, as we finish up the book here today. So one of the things that we're going to be doing is we're going to be taking your questions. So go and get your questions in now as we are coming upon the last part of this book. Okay, so make sure to get all of your marriage questions in to the chat right now so that we can go and answer them, um, you know, in this episode here today. The main and most important preparation for marriage is prayer. That's one of the things that we've discussed many times on this program, many times, that it is that we have to engage in shakrit and hit baradot for or, or shakrit and mincha for the reasons of that strictness of the observance of, of, you know, basically submitting ourselves to that of Hashem. That's the reason why it is that we do those. That's the reason why it is that we read from the Sador every single morning and every single night, put on our tefillin, 
and all those things, us men, that is why it is that we do that each and every single morning and night. Now, in terms of hippodot, the reason for the reason for hippodot is being able to connect with Hashem. First of all, this deals with that of the of the two mitzvahs, which are to uh, to love Hashem our God with all our mind, heart, and soul, and strength, and also to fear Him at the same time. We must be able to do both, and we have to learn to be obedient to God as well at the same time to be able to um, to be able as well to uh, be able to make that personal connection with Him. Okay. The main responsibility for prayer on the husband's shoulders because Shalom Bayit depends upon him. He therefore must pray that he'll succeed in respecting his wife and refrain from comments and criticisms and that he will love her unconditionally. And this is why it is that whenever it is that we engage in hip adult, usually we go and we open up with You know, we, we go and we, you know, give praise to God. We, we, we let him know. Um, um, we let him know that, uh, that, first of all, that we are engaging with him and all of these things, you know, and that we are acknowledging him. And then we get into, Father, these are the things that are, that are wrong with me. Don't, you know, we can't just ask him to miraculously cause these things to, uh, to happen and all that stuff. We, there has to be an effort that puts him, that puts, that, that, that is put forth, just like in the Ketubah, where it goes and it says, with divine assistance. And then it says that the husband goes to work. Okay. That's the reason why. So whenever it is that we pray in hip we don't go and treat God like a four leaf clover. Instead, what it is that we do, we say, Hashem, enable me to be able to fix the things in my life that need, that need fixing. Okay. And so that is it for the garden of peace, a marital guide for men. And I want to thank all of you that have joined us and have been with us through all of these episodes of this amazing book. And I am going to go and look at the questions now that it is that we have. Looks like that we have one from uh, from Jana here. Or I'm sorry, is that, is that Jana? Oh, hold on. Uh, the computer's far away there. Jana. Jana. I'm sorry, Jana. Uh, let's see here. This is the first teaching I've heard. I have also found your uh, – um, I, I have heard as I found your teachings today – what books are you referring to for future teachings? Well, this one we just wrapped up. We did a fourteen pay, a fourteen chapter, uh, chapter by chapter, uh, video and audio uh, lecture on it. It's called um, "The Garden of Peace: A Marital Guide for Men." Now there is a woman, uh, a woman's version of it called um, "Women's Wisdom" as well, and uh, it looks like a, okay, Jaina. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. She's correcting me there. I. Uh, uh, you know, uh, some, sometimes I'm bad with dialect there. So my apologies. And we see that Otto came in here and uh, basically answered the questions and also provided a link there. There's several different places where it is that you can get it. Um, if you order it from the Breast Live website, uh, you could probably get it cheaper. But what will ultimately end up happening is the, um, is the, uh, uh, the shipping costs are rather high. And all that stuff, and um, it it takes a little while to get here because it's shipped out from Israel. But you can also find it like on Amazon. I believe I've also seen it on eBay. I've seen both of them there, so you can go and uh, get those right over there. Do we have any other questions, by the way, guys? Any other questions on this? Uh, as this is the last episode of our marriage series from the Garden of Peace, I want to make sure that we get everybody's questions answered. And all that good stuff. Um, let's see here. Uh, looks like we got some people typing away here. I'm going to go through these here and see what it is that we have here. Um, all right. Our, bud, our buddy uh, Elimelech here says, Must you be remarried if you were married before becoming a convert? No, not necessarily. No, no. Because, because the covenant in terms of marriage is going to be universal. It's going to be universal because, um, you know, when it, when it, when it comes to, to, to that, let's say that it is that you have both come to faith um, in Yeshua as Messiah, or you have uh, both, you know, gone from, you know, one faith to an, uh, some sort to some sort of Jewish faith, whether it be, you know, something like, you know, Messianic Judaism or Lapid Judaism, such as myself. Um, 
the the thing is that you know some people will go and uh, go and renew their vows and they'll do it you know in this particular way you know and so and that's something that you can definitely do. Are you necessarily obligated to it? Only the only thing I would really say that you would really probably want to consider being obligated to would be the ketubah. That would be it. Um, let's see here. Uh, Jaina says she thanks Otto there. Otto goes and gives um, the link to that. I believe he's linking Amazon. Yeah, he's linking Amazon for the women's version, uh, which is women's wisdom. Um, now, some people have asked me if I'm going to be doing women's wisdom. I'm not allowed to read that book. I'm not allowed to read it, so I cannot do a teaching on that. Sorry. You women have to do that yourselves. <laughs> uh, let's see. Nadia says, interesting. And uh, let's see here. Um, Jaina says, darn, I wish I could. I wouldn't have missed this one. Jaina, don't worry. We have them all up on demand up on our Vimeo page. We have them um, on iTunes as well, both in video and MP3 format on iTunes. We have them on the Lapid Judaism website under the podcast section. We also have them on YouTube as well. So, you know, so, so, so don't worry. Even though you miss them, you can go and get them, you know, um, at any of those places. It's all absolutely free. We Everything that it is that we do, we do for free. Um, Otto says, what is your website to find the past teachings? The past teachings are at lapidjudaism.com. If you want to go ahead and write that in, and what you would end up doing is uh, go there. And then click on the podcast tab and then click on the brutal planet. Okay. And we have the videos and the MP3s right over there. Let's see here. Uh, Laura says, interesting, interesting. Yes, yes. Uh, let's see. Otto says, uh, that's a longer one. I'm going to have to look it up over here. Uh, Jen, I'm not, um, I'm going to have him tell the site in the past uh, videos. I believe that they are up on YouTube. Yes, they are up on YouTube. And uh, we also have a separate playlist for those as well. If you go into our playlist over at Lapid Judaism on YouTube and Vimeo, we have all of those teachings right over there. All right. So, um, okay. And he just gave the uh, link as well. I'll go to that here in a second after we look at what Nadia says. I'm going to refer to the study to my husband. All right. Well, good for you. It's uh, We did uh, 15 parts of it. Okay. You know, one of the chapters was extra long, about 50 pages. So we had to do two parts of that one. But, uh, you know, you can uh, all, like I said, all those things are for free for download, for, you know, streaming, you know, video and MP3. So you can go and get those over there. And Otto goes and puts up the website right over there, which is lapidjudaism.com. And make sure, uh, and he spelled Judaism wrong. Otto, what are you thinking, man? You can't you, you learn how to spell Judaism, bro. <laughs> You know, and, and audio, Otto and I actually have a uh, for charity fight coming up, as a matter of fact. Um, so, you know, um, that that'll be one of the things to, that he uh, did the website wrong. That's one of the things that's going to make me mad. That's going to. Uh, <laughs> and uh, Nadia says, I'm going to refer to this study to my husband. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, Nadia also said it's interesting that a bunch of women are watching this. That's what it is. You're getting insight into us guys. <laughs> That's essentially what's going on here. Um, well, ladies and gentlemen, um, I want to thank all of you guys for joining us, and especially those who have joined us all the way throughout this series. And um, I'm going to wish each and every single one of you Shalom Bracha. We got other studies coming up this, this week. As you guys know, on Friday, we got the uh, Torah portion study. And uh, though it is that Vazot Habracha is not, um, for some reason, it's not in the uh, year 5779 uh, calendar for some reason. And so, but the thing about that is we're going to do it anyway uh, this week. You know, um, why it's not in the calendar this week, I don't know. Do we, are we just going to forget that last chapter of, of uh, Deuteronomy and start back over at Bereshit? Oh, hopefully not. But uh, we are going to do that this Friday. And so if you want to be a part of that, make sure to uh, uh, to go and send me a private message. We do the study through uh, the Zoom uh, web conferencing app. So uh, go and download the Zoom uh, video conferencing app. It's absolutely free. You can find it on any Apple device or any Android device as well. Uh, go and download that. 
And uh, basically what happens is we send you a text message with a private link that'll let you into the study and everybody gets to see you and hear you and all that stuff. You get to engage in the study with us. It's not it's, over the past couple of weeks. It's kind of ended up me being me being, you know, kind of doing a teaching. We don't want to be that. We want you guys engaged. We want you guys to be a part of the study and to uh, to be a, to, you know, to be involved in all that stuff. So we encourage you to go and do that. Um, and to uh, join us for the Torah Porsche study. And we're going to be getting back into the flow of our Didache series as well. And also Matthew Bartlett and I have a special episode coming up. Um, I don't think, I don't know if we've decided to do it this week or if we've decided to do it next week. He hasn't told me yet, but uh, we're going to be talking about um, this thing that there's a lot of debate over, which is tongues. Okay. We're going to be discussing that and, and going through it from a historical and linguistic. Uh, aha, you kind of you kind of got my position. Linguistic uh, <laughs> uh, from uh, Avenue and all that stuff by going through all those things. So um, make sure to uh, check that out as well. But again, you want to be a part of the Torah portion study, go and send me a private message saying I want to be there and uh, we'll get you guys all set up. All right. Well, ladies and gentlemen, guys, thank you again for being a part of this, um, uh, you know, of this series that we have done with Guard to Peace, a marital guide for men. As you guys can tell, this book has been heavily used. This is, believe it or not, my third copy. Okay, this is a very, um, uh, it's 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 a book that I encourage every single man to get. Um, Otto is asking. Wednesday discussion with Matt. We don't know yet. Um, I'm waiting to hear from Matt from from Matthew on that. So we'll um, we'll figure that out. Valerie says language is not studied. Mm-hmm. We'll get into that. <laughs> and uh, Val also says blessings. All right. Well, guys, shalom racha, peace and a blessing. Shalom.